and welcome to Papaholics, the show where a dad and daughter dish on pop culture. I'm Steve Hall. I'm Kate Hall. And we were just talking about, as we're taping this, it's November 8th. I worked the polls this morning for the first time. My mother worked the polls in Jackson County, West Virginia for years and years. This was my first time, and I had the important job of standing by the scanner. When people brought their ballots up, I would say, okay, let's turn your ballot face up with the notch facing to the right. Okay, and you can slide it in either one of these trays, and then let's watch for the clock. Oh, you're good to go. Thanks for what? Thanks for voting. <laughs> That's good. That's the, I would say that's the most important job is making sure people's ballots get counted or scanned. Well, and a lot of people hadn't used scanners. So uh, yeah. it was, it was good for me to kind of walk them through the process. Cool. So anyway, uh, that yeah. was the side. So what pop culture have you been consuming, Kate? I, this is still in my notes. So stop me if we already talked about this. I finished a nonfiction book called We Keep the Dead Close by Becky Cooper. You're making a face like we haven't talked about it. So okay, about I'll, it. I'll keep going. So this is a nonfiction book um, that is an, an investigation into a murder that happened at, at not, I don't want to say at Harvard, but like kind of like at Harvard. It was in a, an apartment building that was owned by the university about the murder of a young woman named Jane Britton in um, 1969. Basically, you do eventually find out who the person is, but the um, author, Becky Cooper, I thought it was a very well-researched, clear, um, I don't want to say setting the scene, but very well-researched, very like empathetic view of what was going on at Harvard at the time. Sorry, I'm pausing to tell resident kid expert, he's got to go what was going on in Harvard, what was going in, you know, on in uh, the world. Obviously there was the Vietnam war and people were protesting and women's liberation, all this stuff. So it's like, why, why was this person murdered? Here's my hypothesis. Who are the suspects? I'm going to interview all these people. I'm going to interview the remaining family, you know, all of that stuff. And I thought it was very, I don't want to give anything away, but a main part of the book is the, the reporter, the writer, kind of checking out the what gets her started is she hears this rumor about a professor who is still in one of the departments and that it's like kind of an open secret. It's like gossip that everyone has heard that he murdered this mm-hmm. this person, but then he like still has his job, et cetera, et cetera. So like what's going on there? So yeah, I, th- I just thought it was really... I just thought it was a really great book. And of course, it's, you know, examines a lot of gross behavior by, and it doesn't need to be a not all men discussion, but gross behavior by men in power towards women and, and other people who are their subordinates. And, you know, it goes into a whole discussion of that and how have things really changed because at the time the book was written, Me Too was a really big thing. It still is, but it was really, really blowing up at that time. It covers everything, and it was a very interesting read. And so, <laughs> so was that Keep the Dead Close? What was that title? We, yeah, We Keep the Dead Close by Becky Cooper. All right. Had, Sweet. Yeah, Sweet. she's had work featured in, like, Washington Post, New Yorker, like, all kinds of stuff, so. Okay. 
Well, yeah. since we started with books, I will talk about, I have two Japanese things to talk about today. So the okay. first is a Japanese book, uh, Out by Natsu Karino, N-A-T-S-U-O-K-I-R-I-N-O, okay? And this came out in 1997 uh, to great acclaim. It's a literary thriller. These four women work at this uh, factory making prepackaged meals and they have dead end lives and they're all unhappy. And at first, when I started reading it, he, the author spends a lot of time talking about their miserable lives. And so I thought, is this ever going to pick up? But mm -hmm. then one of the women murders her husband and the, her, the three uh, co-workers decide to help her cover it up. These inexperienced uh, criminals then start kind of playing this cat and mouse game with both the police mm -hmm. and a Japanese gangster. Mm. And uh, it's a great page turner of a book. And one of the things I liked about it was the ringleader of the cover-up, uh, Masako Katori, uh, is how I'll say that. Um, she's shrewd, she's clear-eyed, and she's determined to not only get away with murder, but to escape her dead end life. Uh, so that's out by... Natsu Carino, highly recommended. Cool. Well, maybe that'll be my next read because I'm I <laughs> I also have another book to talk about. And both of these deal with heavy subjects, but that's that's life, I guess. Um <laughs> that's life. <laughs> that's life. Hopefully we don't have to pay any royalties. So yeah, so the next book that I have to talk about, and I'm apologize, this title is supposed to be Eye and Ear Catching. Uh, the title is I'm Glad My Mom Died, and it's a memoir by Jeanette McCurdy, who uh, was on the Nickelodeon show iCarly. If you have kids of a certain age, that was that was after my time is what I say. Like I wasn't I was past the Nickelodeon age group when the show came out. So I've actually never seen an episode, but I know who this this actress is. And so the memoir is about how she. Um, how uh, terrible her mother was and how complicated their relationship was because she, uh, as a young child, she was very, she felt, you know, extremely close to her mom and her mom was best friend. They were best friends and like, oh, mommy loves me. That's why she's making me do this. Or like, that's why she wants me to be an actress. That's why she wants me to be a certain weight. That's why she wants me to blah, 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 blah. And so then of course, as the book progresses, you are hearing about all of these horrible behaviors that are going on to this poor, this poor girl who doesn't know any better. And it, it was a very interesting read. I, how do I say this? I, <laughs> well, I'm always interested because of the true crime stuff. I'm always interested in seeing, you know, what, like, where does that switch happen? Where does, where does it all go wrong when you're looking at other people's behavior, you know, undiagnosed mental illness, narcissism, just being a purely selfish human being, that kind of stuff. But like, where did that all start for Jeanette McCurdy's um, mother, which she gets into like a little bit, but it's mostly about her dealing with this and, and finally realizing, whoops, that's <laughs> I shouldn't have been treated that way at all. And then having to undo all of this trauma 
that she got from her mother. And so, yeah, it was very, it was a very good read. It was a very fast read. Um, so if you're interested in pop culture stuff and memoirs, celebrity memoirs, I think, I feel like people like that generally, because why would E! News still exist if we didn't? Right. <laughs> so. So, so I'm glad my mom, my mother. I'm glad my mom died by Jeanette McCurdy. All right. And weirdly, you know, you mentioned Nickelodeon. I, mm-hmm. uh, in researching the Facebook, Facebook posts, to go on with the show to promote it. I came across a date in 1993 when Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, and Christina Aguilera all joined the new Mickey Mouse Club. And so I went online on YouTube and there's videos of them doing song and dance numbers on the Mickey Mouse Club. And it, they are so young. They're obviously super, super talented, but man, they are so young. Britney is like, she looks like I don't know, 10. I don't know how old she yeah, was. She's, she's not that much older than me. And that is, of course, you just didn't make the connection. But for the people who are like, what? Obviously, Mickey Mouse Club is Disney, not right. Nickelodeon. Not Nickelodeon. Um, but dad was like making the, you know, the parallel, the connection. Right. Thing. And so. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, people who uh, read our Facebook posts, they'll be able to see what I'm talking about. So I want to mention a great Japanese movie. I said I had two th- Japanese things. This one is called One Cut of the Dead, and it's a 2017 horror comedy with zombies. A zomcom. A zomcom. <laughs> so it's in ja- it's in Japanese with English with English subtitles, and you can find it uh, on Shutter, the horror movie channel, or you can rent it. I had read a plot description of this movie, something like quote. Things go badly for a hack director and his crew cast making a zombie movie in an abandoned factory when real zombies show up, unquote. So I have to say, if you ran across this movie, you're flipping around, you ran across this movie with no warning, you would think you were watching a schlocky Japanese zombie movie. The only innovation being that it's filmed in one long, continuous, uninterrupted take. And so... I'm watching it and there's a lot of screaming and I'm thinking this seems weird. Uh, And then the end credits are rolling and it's, it's seemed awfully short. And I'm thinking, why do people love this? Because this is like time, uh, you know, of my life, I'm never going to get back. Uh, (laughs) But then as the end credits for this movie are rolling, suddenly it says one month ago on the screen. Mm. Okay. And we find out this is actually a comedy about the making of the zombie movie, about the crazy director making the zombie movie. Got that? (laughs) It's a very clever, (laughs) very clever, funny film. We see casting. We see the executives making this decision. They're promoting some kind of a zombie new zombie channel. So they're going to have this live TV special. And that's the that's the hook. They're going to do it in one take. And the director, of course, says, you're crazy. But then he takes it on. You see his home life. The most important thing is you see all of the crazy stuff that's going on behind the scenes when they're filming. So the director and the cast can keep going in that one uninterrupted take. And it, it is so hilarious. Can't say yeah. enough about it. So that's one cut of the dead. Highly recommended. Like I said, if you tune into it and you're thinking this is a schlocky zombie movie, stay with it. 
<laughs> just give it some time. Give it some time. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I have a, a movie I can talk about. Enola Holmes 2. Oh, just- I had this one too. Oh, did you? Okay. So yeah, that just came out on Netflix. So I watched it this weekend after work. I liked it better than the first one. And so basically, so for people who are maybe need a a refresher, uh, Enola Holmes is the youngest sister, younger sister, younger sister of Sherlock Holmes. And then of course, Mycroft, Mycroft and Sherlock both show up in the first one. And so Enola Holmes is, it's actually a book series, I guess, but they made it a movie. Enola is played by Millie Bobby Brown of Stranger Things. Um, Yep. And then uh, Henry Cavill, Superman himself, plays Sherlock. Extremely wavy hair. Well, that's his natural hair texture. It's not it's not the Witcher uh, white wig, which is no, like it's the, not the and it's not the it's kind the of best. crop thing. He's no, a, no. This Sherlock has kind of this wave thing going out from his head like an ocean wave. That's OK. I'm, I like it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways, so in Enola Holmes, too, the Holmes, I wrote the Holmes siblings are back. How did their separate cases interconnect? You know, what's going on with this seemingly government corruption situation? That's kind of. And, that's and, and, yeah. And then Enola's investigating and, and Enola's yeah. investigating this uh, disappearance of this young woman who works in a match factory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we don't, we don't want to give anything away, so we won't no. talk about how it ends, yeah. but I thought it was a lot better than the first one. Maybe they had to like kind of find their footing a little bit with introducing Anola because in the first one she's trying to find I forget what the case was in the first one but she's like finding her footing as a a detective yeah I thought it was I thought it was much better I thought it was funny um if people have not seen these uh Anola breaks uh the fourth wall speaks directly to the audience mm -hmm. she's getting into these Hair, rape, hair raising scrapes one after another. A big fun is what I wrote. I noticed that, uh, you know, you had Hela, Helena Bonham Carter back as her mother, who's very independent. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I noticed about this one, I'm hearing resident kid expert. <laughs> what I noticed exactly. about, about this one was, it seemed like there was more Sherlock. There was, there was more Sherlock. Yeah, and he seemed... One thing I noted was he's, you know, handsome, broad-shouldered with wavy hair. He looks nothing like the traditional gaunt, beak-nosed version of Sherlock played by, like, Basil Rathbone. But then, of course, Robert Downey Jr. didn't look like that at all either. And I wrote, for that matter, David Thewlis, one of the villains in Enola Holmes 2, looks more like that traditional Sherlock. Um, Oh, that's who that was! Yeah! I couldn't, I was like, how do I know this guy? Got it. I got it. We're on the same page. <laughs> so I said that Sherlock becomes more approachable and sympathetic with his brotherly concern for his younger sister. So yeah, yeah. Anything yeah, else about Nola Holmes? Um, I like that she has she has a love interest, but I like how they approach it. That it's you know it's not the be all end all. It is their interactions are mostly just kind of awkward, which is I felt much truer to real life than than some of the uh more traditional romantic movies that i've seen which you know somebody somebody in the uh the twosome is very like suave and smooth and knows what they're doing whatever and and actually it's 
from my experience and from, you know, talking to people and, and witnessing their experiences. It's just kind of awkward most of the time, which yeah. is not bad. It's just the way that it is. And so I thought um, the stuff at the at the ball was particularly funny. Yeah. She crashes uh, the ball trying to get some information and she's not really up on some of the, the rules of going to the ball. <laughs> right. Well, because because their mother didn't right. that's the thing is that their mother doesn't didn't raise them to conform to society, which is what makes them really good detectives. And, you know, and Mycroft ends up being like part of a minister, like a government minister. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, it's cute. You should check it out. Yeah. And Um, Ola Holmes too on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Well, I can't really tell you much about it, but I did another going along with another, just like cute movie is school for good and evil came out on Netflix a couple weeks ago. And so that's it's kind of like Hogwarts, but not. Um, it stars Charlize Theron, Lawrence Fishburne, and Carrie Washington, all as the professors at this school. And at the School for Good and Evil, in Hogwarts, you have your houses of, you know, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, all Slytherin, all we got it, we know Hogwarts. But in the School for Good and Evil, it's literally you are either a like good witch. Or a bad witch. Or a bad witch. And so they're kind of like, it, you know, dumbs it down. Well, I don't want to say dumbs it down, but it just like simplifies it into they're the people that will use their powers for good. They're the people that will use their powers for evil. And so then the story goes from there because, of course, it's not that simple. And so two two young ladies who both uh, kind of are over their little village. They want to get out. They want to explore the world they kind of accidentally get dropped into the school and one ends up the one that thinks that she should be in school for evil ends up in the school for good. The one that thinks she's good ends up in the school for evil. And then, you know, shenanigans ensue. So it was cute. It wasn't like for me, I didn't think it was super groundbreaking, but I, I did like how they explore that it's, there's more gray areas to life and, etc etc that's also i think that's that would be a really fun thing for if you have younger kiddos in your younger to preteen we'll say kiddos in your lives i don't know if my if resident kid expert would enjoy it at all but because he wasn't with me when i watched it but (laughs) well i'll mention a book that i'm i'm just kind of started but it's promising so there's a guy named grady hendrix who's written um a bunch of comic horror novels uh, probably most famously, The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, which was fun. Mm-hmm. So now I'm reading, uh, it's called The Final Girls Club. And the premise is that there's a support group for all of the girls who are the final survivors of slasher movie type deals. Oh, yeah. I've heard yeah. about this. Yeah. They're very different personalities. They want very different things from their lives now that they survive. And then, of course, one of them gets killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what was the... The Final yeah. Girls Club by Grady Hendrix. Okay, cool. Like I said, I just started it, but I've read glowing reviews of it. Yeah. Well, I don't have anything else. All right, Kate, where <laughs> can people find us? People can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Papaholics Podcast. 
uh, on Twitter at Popaholics. And then please, if people have recommendations for streaming, reading, watching, whatever, then please send us an email to papaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And I noticed um, in the New York Times this Sunday, they had release dates of different, you know, movies over the holidays. And they had the one for The Whale, which we've talked about. Um, And so I will uh, put that in our newsletter notes for this uh, show. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for today. For Papaholics, I'm Steve Hall. I'm Kate Hall. Go out and enjoy pop culture. Bye.